This is Prairie Rome Companion, episode 36, recorded December 22nd, 2010. Shepherds tending their flocks. Welcome to Prairie Rome Companion. I'm your co-host, Dr. Chris Bergwald. And I'm your other co-host, Father Andrew Dickinson. And we are coming down to it here in the Advent season, uh, recording today, Wednesday of the fourth week of Advent, and Christmas will be upon us, well, technically, I guess, uh, late Friday afternoon, early Friday evening, with um, evening prayer one, Vespers for the Christmas vigil, right, Father? Am Am I right about that? You are correct, sir. You are correct. Very good. So, and the king of all the nations, the key of David, the morning star will come. Root of Jesse, wisdom, all the, the old antiphons are, are approaching their conclusion. And See, I'm trying to tie back into last week's podcast. There we go. There we go. So, um, one of the, Father and I are going to talk about uh, Christmas a little bit, as is fitting. Um, but we wanted to be Yay, Christmas. Yay, Christmas. And of course Christmas uh, with we, we have the the angelic revelation to the shepherds in the fields outside Bethlehem. News uh, of great joy. But we also have speaking of shepherds, uh this week uh some some um oh I don't know some news, I guess, in the in at least in the in the, in the world of the church, uh, the actions of one of our shepherds, one of our bishops um, in Phoenix, Bishop Olmsted, um, taking some strong action with regard to a healthcare center or system um, that has uh, been um, in the past uh, a Catholic system, but but there's been some question about it of late, and Bishop Olmsted has taken some very uh, strong action uh, with regard to this particular system. Father, you want to give us the scoop, what's the details, and, and then we can talk about it a little bit? Well, I think that's a very good question, if I want to give you the details, because uh, the details are, uh, in some ways, unknown to us, so it's kind of hard to have a rich, deep commentary on this. I think one of the things, just kind of in reading things that are going on about this, a lot of people are jumping to the conclusion the bishop did the right thing, the bishop did the wrong thing, the bishop should have acted stronger, the bishop should have acted quicker, the bishop should have acted slower. But we don't know all the details. And I think kind of the interesting thing about this uh, whole uh, instance is that uh, about a week, actually exactly a week ago, on the 15th, a, uh, a letter came to light that Bishop Olmsted had sent to the administrative group that runs St. Joseph's Hospital in Phoenix uh, called Catholic Healthcare West, which is based in San Francisco. And the letter came to light saying, uh, and apparently this letter from Bishop Olmsted to Catholic Healthcare West, dated back in November, uh, Bishop Olmsted said, uh, you know, in the course of our dialogue, I'm finding that there's some areas of disagreement, some areas of concern, and it's getting to the point where if we can't find agreement here, I'm going to have to say that you're not trying to practice Catholic medicine and I'll have to remove that Catholic name from your hospital as part of my duties and obligations as a bishop. Uh, and so that's kind of the setup to all this. And uh, if, if, if that makes sense? Yes, it does. It does. Good, good. Um, so, uh, and, and the, the deeper backstory is back in, uh, uh, towards the beginning of this year, it became known uh, where the Archbishop uh, put a statement out saying that um, a, uh, a sister, I'm forgetting the uh, sister's name off the top of my head. Any help? Uh, uh, 
you keep going. I, I've got yeah. it right here. That a sister who was uh, working for St. Joseph's Hospital, a Sister Mercy. Sister, Mar- uh, Sister Margaret McBride. Sister Margaret McBride uh, had made a decision to allow uh, an abortion to occur on that hospital uh, in the course of some tragic circumstances, but yet an abortion nonetheless. Uh, and uh, which the archbishop said, you know, you you were an instrumental part of that abortion occurring. Because of that, you've uh, incurred uh, by your actions, you've incurred an excommunication upon yourself, and you know you need to. We need to change. And this is kind of the imp- the the near impetus for this yeah. investigation, everything to occur. Um, now, what I, go, go ahead. Sorry. Well, what I was going to say, from what I've from what I've seen, uh, it looks like you said the near impetus because it, from what I've seen from uh, Bishop Olmstead's statement, uh, I think yesterday, Tuesday the twenty second, or sorry, Tuesday the twenty first, um, he he's had there have been some some questions he's had since uh, he took up the see of Phoenix. Uh, it became the seven Archbishop, years ago. Seven years ago, and and some more other things. Uh, there's the abortion, but then some other things came to light um, in the time since then. Is that correct? Understand? Okay, okay. Yeah, but that's why that's why I chose my word of near impetus. Okay. This uh, for this discussion to take its turn, but I think before you get to, we get too much down in the weeds, I think one of the things to keep in mind is we don't really know a lot of the weeds to this. In fact. Um, this was private correspondence of Bishop Olmsted with uh, the head of Catholic Healthcare West, the responsible parties for St. Joseph's Hospital. And this private communication was made public not by Bishop Olmsted. Now, whether it was by Catholic Healthcare's West's own decision, although they have not in any way condemned the action of the revelation of this uh, correspondence, um, but it was made public, and the letter apparently, um, from looking at the PDF, was one of the letters received by Catholic Healthcare West. Um, so apparently them trying to um, in some way uh, uh, sway or build some sort of public consensus or opinion on the matter being considered. Uh, but so anyways, and so this came out uh, last week on Wednesday, and uh, the bishop's office from Phoenix said, you know, hey, this is a private matter, and uh, we're not going to make comment on it. Uh, this is between us and Catholic Healthcare West at this time. Um, so kind of interesting consideration in that regard. But then uh, uh, they, and they even then, uh, Bishop Olmsted, and they didn't say what the reasons were, granted an extension on Friday, which was supposed to be the deadline for this sort of decision and discussions, and uh, extended to yesterday, Tuesday the 21st, and yesterday, Tuesday the 21st, uh, Bishop Olmsted uh, made an announcement and said that uh, he is... uh, no longer allowing St. Joseph's Hospital to refer to itself as a Catholic hospital, that the Mass will no longer be celebrating its chapels, that the Eucharist will be removed from its tabernacles. Priests of the Diocese of Phoenix will still minister to the sick that are there, and to the doctors and staff. But the main concern from his letter is that people will not think, will will not be led to think that they are receiving health care from an explicitly Catholic point of view. Wow. So, so would you say um, this is a, a notable action? Uh, yeah, this is huge. Yeah. No, this is huge, and uh, I'm not sure what the repercussions will be. Um, I'm praying uh, for Bishop Olmstead. Yep. You know, uh, trying to offer prayers for him throughout the day. Can't certainly can't have been easy. And pray for you know St. Joseph's Hospital and Catholic Healthcare West. And... 
So in the the, uh, the letter from or the statement from Bishop Olmsted, uh, he refers he referred to just for the sake of of the listener, he's, he refers to a number of incidents that occurs which all violate um, various ERDs. You'll read which uh, E R D, which stands for ethical and religious directives, if I recall correctly, Father. Um, yep. The, so, so the church has issued uh, a set of ethical and religious directives for healthcare, healthcare workers, something to that effect, which basically lay out the principles, um, the directives, uh, which must be observed uh, it, for healthcare to be considered Catholic. Uh, and apparently, from based on the public statement which Bishop Olmsted released, a number. And of all we can really go by is by public statements. Exactly, and and. Uh, Based on that statement, uh, a number of those directives have been knowingly violated um, on more than one occasion over a, a period of time, several years, I think, in some cases. Uh, so, so it was that abortion, but then also these other incidences, uh, which apparently, uh, well, which did lead, lead Bishop Olmsted to the conclusion that that it, this is not just one. Uh, I, this uh, abortion incident was not one isolated case, but rather there's something much more systemic going on um, that indicates that "quote unquote" ha- Catholic healthcare West uh, no longer can rightly consider itself Catholic. Right. Um, you know, and that's um, and that's why he says, uh, um, "It is my duty to decree that in the Diocese of Phoenix at St. Joseph's Hospital." Catholic Healthcare West is not committed to following the teaching of the Catholic Church, and therefore the hospital cannot be considered Catholic. I mean, that's to, to, to be called Catholic, again, goes back to this notion of that what it means to be Catholic is to be committed to following uh, the teaching of the Catholic Church in your life, or if you're running a, uh, a public institution, that public institution. So what is this? So you, you said this is huge when I sort of uh, rhetorically asked if this was a notable event, uh, you know, it is. Why? Why is that, Father? Why? Why is this such a, a notable event? Well, this comes down to things that, uh, if you've been maybe listening to things in the Catholic Church, whether um, on maybe more quote unquote, uh, depending even from a variety. Can we edit that? Just kidding. Can we edit my fumbling? Uh, <laughs> What, this is a continuous podcast? No! Um, that's, what makes it, that's what makes it real, Father. That's makes The listeners know that this is, this is Why can't we have a Protestant podcast where we edit and make things look tidy? Oh, wow. <laughs> we'll edit that. You can contact, contact the Prayer Room Companion at C-B-U-R-G-W-A-L-D at sfcatholic.org. Wow, yes. Um... <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> so this is a big deal because it strikes right to this idea that's been kind of come bubbling up ever since 2005 when Pope Benedict was elected in this question of Catholic identity. Uh, bishop Swain, uh, our own bishop, a, a new bishop uh, uh, within uh, named within uh, just over a year after Pope Benedict's election, uh, Bishop Swain said that that was one of the things that he received instruction on in his when he went to uh, the young bishops uh, uh, program. The newly ordained bishops have a program in Rome, and that was one of the things that was emphasized to him. That's something that's been on his heart uh, in his pastoral service here uh, to the Diocese of Sioux Falls. 
So it's a question of, uh, of Catholic identity, you know, and uh, what does it mean to be Catholic? You know, we talked about this a little bit even uh, just last week, and uh, then Joseph Ratzinger, now Pope Bendix, with his book that he uh, wrote from the 1960s called What It Means to Be Christian. And, uh, and it's not that I think anyone wants to go about, like, you know, you know putting a stamp on anyone's head, you know, uh, Catholic, not Catholic, Catholic, not Catholic, not Catholic. But that we really need to be asking these questions. What does it mean to really follow Jesus Christ in the Catholic Church? Is it something I can do haphazardly or something that I need to do with uh, purposeful uh, uh, and willful intention? Mm. And? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was a rhetorical question. Oh, I'm I'm sorry. I, I... how many rows must a man walk down? <laughs> Forty-two. Yeah. So I mean, you, you, if well, you're go, if you're going to claim to be Catholic, uh, that that entails certain realities. The 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 the, the term, the name, the label um, is supposed to reflect the reality of who we are and what we do. So when we're talking about um, a healthcare system, if it's going to be legitimately considered a Catholic healthcare system, then its healthcare practices uh, need to, that just, they, they need to reflect uh, Catholic realities, Catholic understanding, Catholic teaching. And if they don't, it's not Catholic. Uh, and, and so, uh, you know, the whole shepherd motif, I mean, as you said, Bishop Olmstead is... Is, is simply trying to provide clarity because it's his responsibility as um, a bishop, uh, one with his other bishops, the successors of the apostles, um, to to guard and teach the deposit of faith, what it means to be Catholic. So bishops have responsibility for determine, determining what is authentically Catholic uh, in teaching, but also in instances like this where you have where you have large public institutions, uh, which which claim to be Catholic, the bishops are the arbiters of whether or not they are in fact acting and therefore being Catholic. Right, and I think you, you bring up two senses of scope there for the importance of this uh, this event, two senses of scope. One is the scope of just matter of any Catholic institution in general, and two, the scope of responsibility. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the reason that this is going to be a momentous thing as it goes out is just the scope of the number of Catholic institutions in the United States. And so this, uh, in some sense, raises a question then, is this something that is going to be uh, continued at other institutions? And I, you know, I, I certainly don't know the answer to that. Right. Um, but, you know, you could think in your head of any number of Catholic institutions in the United States and uh, with many uh, great questions in that regard. The second thing then, too, that people, I think, are quick to forget about. When we speak about a bishop having responsibility or authority, we generally think about that in terms of, uh, you know, swinging his crozier around. Power. Right. But Bishop Olmstead, and I think he, I imagine from his writing, he's aware of this. I have to hope he's aware of this. Just hope I, just I hope I act always in awareness of this. But at his final judgment, you know, or at his, at his particular judgment, he'll be judged on how he exercised his office of bishop. Right. You know, how he led the church in Wichita and Phoenix and anywhere else where he's uh, served as a bishop. Um, and by how well he cares for his priest, by how well he cares for the laity, well, by how well he represents uh, the Catholic Church. And so uh, um, I think this is, you know, to think that this is him just getting to. Uh, into, into some sort of fit of rashness 
you know, or uh, an ego trip that just is lasting for a couple months. Um, this is really a sustained and deliberate effort on his part that's not a product of passion. It's not a product of um, uh, of wanting to, in some ways, get into a contest with anyone. Well, um, I, I, I think his statement makes that clear, that this is, this is I mean, something that he's apparently been in conversation with Catholic Healthcare West about for some time now, uh, and... Uh, this is the uh, the unfortunate um, conclusion of of their unwillingness or, or whatever it is to to acknowledge uh, the the failures in terms of the the ha- the healthcare which they're practicing with regard to what what the Catholic Church teaches and what right. the Catholic Church outlines for Catholic. Well, I think uh, his his last uh, sentence. Bishop Olmsted's press release from uh, yesterday, from the 21st, where he says, For seven years now, I have tried to work with Catholic Healthcare West and St. Joseph's, and I have hoped and prayed that this day would not come, that this decree would not be needed. However, the faithful of the diocese have a right to know whether institutions of this importance are indeed Catholic in identity and practice. And I think that's, you know, that's what I was going to say something else earlier. The faithful have a right to know. I mean, it's somebody, just a, a Catholic, you know, just Joe or Jane Catholic out there, um, and, and they, they want to go to the hospital, and, or even if they're not Catholic, but they want to, they want to go to a hospital where they know that, that the Catholic Church's teachings are going to be practiced when it comes to health care. Uh, they, they should have the confidence of knowing that an org, a, a, a hospital, a clinic, whatever, that calls itself Catholic actually is. And because if they're not, then they're entitled to be, to be aware that this particular institution is not practicing Catholic health care. Uh, and so, again, the whole shepherd motif, it, as, as he says there in the, the, the sense that you quote, the faithful have a right to know whether or not they're being Catholic in, in who they are and what they do. Exactly. So yeah, I think you're right, Father. I mean, this is obviously uh, it, this, again. This just happened yesterday as we we're recording, so it will be interesting to see um, sort of how this plays out over the next weeks and months. Uh, and as you mentioned, there's there's certainly potential for this to have implications, ramifications uh, in other other contexts as well when it comes to public institutions uh, which which claim to be Catholic. Um, and and whether or not there's perhaps a conflict there with the reality of who they are and what they do. So. Yeah. So yes, shepherds. So returning again to uh, the the other thing that we wanted to talk about, which again is the uh, the solemnity of the nativity that we are about to celebrate. Um, Father, what do you think about Christmas? <laughs> I like Christmas. I really do. Yeah, I really do. So, well, I have to tell you, it's incredibly different here at a new center. How so? Because there's nobody there. Bing. Yeah. I mean, there's it's not there's nobody here. I mean, there's but the the normal pace of things that go on in Newman Center is not here, and so it's it's incredibly odd in that sense that what from the first three years of my priesthood was you know the most intense one of the most intense stretches of the year is now one of the most laid back. Right. Yeah. So now, Father, you do have—I mean, you have a, you have a parish as well, though. So, what's your, particularly with with Christmas falling on a Saturday, um, like what's what's your what's your mass schedule like? 
Uh, well, the mass schedule is very simple out at St. Paul's and White because it's uh, it's a simple, smaller parish uh, with only one mass on a Sunday. And so I'm doing uh, Christmas Eve uh, mass for them at uh, 7.30, and then I'll have a Christmas Day mass here at the Newman Center for some of the families and that uh, that are associated with the Newman Center and support the outreach uh, students that are still around, uh, and because I like to say mass every day. And then I'll have uh, two masses on a Sunday like normal. So. Are, they, are those morning, both morning masses out of curiosity? Yep. Okay, yep. very good. Um, so we have, a, we have an evening mass on Sundays, but we omit that mass when uh, school is not in session because there's very little here. Gotcha. So is that uh, the normal Sunday? Is that a third sun? Is that a third mass, or is that one of the two masses when you the evening one? The evening is a third. Okay, all right. Uh, so out of curiosity, just the, the life and times of a priest. We did that podcast a few weeks ago, but with Christmas. So what's I mean. You in this case are obviously not going to be able to to uh, get away, or perhaps you are later in the day. I don't know, but to be with with family. So, how do you? What do you do as as a priest to you know you, you know like for me, instance, we'll have the 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 four little kids waking up and all excited about <laughs> presents and so on. So, what? How do you celebrate? Mommy, Daddy, come look! <laughs> wake up! Wake up! <laughs> Oh, please. So how do you celebrate Christmas, Father, just on a very practical level? Uh, on a practical level? Well, in some ways, I'm, on a practical level, I'm still learning how to in this new assignment. I mean, you just you got to find the things in the traditions. You know, it's maybe like a young married couple uh, learning how they're going to celebrate Christmas. But uh, last year was not a good Christmas to learn on. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, as far as, like, family events or no- notable things, just because we had uh, 18 inches of snow or whatever right. it was. Exactly. Um, although, <laughs> there was much rejoicing because I'd shovel about eight or so of those inches of snow before someone told me that we had a snowblower here at the Newman Center. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> My shoulder was rejoicing. Yes. And uh, um, so uh, so in that sense, I guess, um, I was still kind of figuring out my new rhythm, so to speak. You used to have, you used to have family traditions, but now... Uh, in a state of adaptation. I'm going to go have uh, Christmas Day dinner with uh, a family uh, a professor and his family from here at the college. And oh, nice. uh, Christmas Eve, I'll have go out to a family's house for a little bit after our uh, Christmas Eve mass. And nice. I'll, I'll be fat and happy. <laughs> good. Good. Yeah, and I will get away. I'm going to get away on Sunday after our masses. I'll go visit my mom. And, oh, good. You will. All right. Yeah. Good. Um, so any any Christmas reading you're going to be doing, whether the day or the week after, or anything like that, or even now, or now, yeah, I've got some fun books. I'm I'm kind of taking advantage of some of the quiet. Sure. Here at the Newman Center, I've been. It's kind of like you you go from living on Main Street with uh, constant traffic outside your house to all of a sudden living out in the country with almost no one driving by. Right. Like a car drives by and you look because why is someone driving by? Yeah. Um, but uh, so it's quiet. But so take advantage of that reading. Some uh, getting caught up on some reading that I wanted to do. Going to be reading, um, or I am reading right now. We'll finish off shortly. Uh, because God is real. Oh yeah. Sixteen questions with one answer by uh, Peter Kreft. And, uh, that's an enjoyable one. And then. Uh, also reading uh, 
just ordered, uh, or just uh, not ordered, but have, and we'll start to read uh, Men, Women, and the Mystery of Love uh, by Dr. Edward Sree. Oh, yeah. Which is a treatment of John Paul II's love and responsibility. Okay. And then, uh, what else am I looking at? Want to read? I'm reading uh, right now for leisure. Uh, I think it's called "Set a Fire with Love." Or um, it's a it's a book on Saint Francis to Sail or Saint Francis Xavier. Okay. A book on the life of Saint Francis Xavier by a Catholic uh, writer uh, Louis Devol. Okay. Yeah. So the the uh, sort of uh, historical novel, right? Right. Yeah. I, I just call it a hagiographical novel. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. A, those are fantastic. By the way, listen. DeWolf's novels are they're a great fun read but they're also spiritually nourishing I mean yeah. so what he does is he takes various uh, figures in the life of the church typically a saint um, and and writes a story around them and uh, and what we know about them um, obviously having to sort of take the uh, the literary license and and create things, but but he it, it's nothing that's in in um, opposition to things that we know historically, uh, and so they're fascinating reads and and you know maybe maybe gives you know certainly maybe a fictional perspective, but still some insight based on the historical record into uh, to who these figures are and and the times that they lived in. Yes, so, very much enjoy them. Yeah, and. Uh... What else? Something else? Oh, uh, Walking with God, which is uh, by Jeff Cavins and oh, Tim yeah. Gray. Yeah. And is, that's in preparation for Totus Tuus for this summer. Hope to get that read through. So that book, by the way, for the, some of you might be familiar with uh, uh, Jeff Bible Cavins. Bible Timeline. Yes, the, Bible time, the Great Adventure Bible Timeline, uh, which gives uh, – uh, it's a DVD or audio. If, if some people just listen to the audio, but uh, presentation Jeff does um, tw- the the full blown one is a twenty four session, uh, one hour each uh, series, sort of giving the big picture of of salvation history. So helping helping us to make sense of of the story, uh, the the fundamental underlying story of sacred scripture. Um, and he and uh, the professor, theologian, author himself, Tim Gray, have uh, written this. Basically, it's a, it's a book version of the the presentation that Jeff gives, and it's again called "Walking with God." So, how are you finding it, Father? Uh, I haven't started yet. I'm going to finish up uh, because God is real first. Okay, very good, very good. And uh, two other books I've got coming, or three other books I've got coming in that I'm interested in. Uh, without going to get time for them in this break. Uh, the Catholic Vision for Leading Like Jesus Ooh. by Owen Phelps. This is, I guess, a more of a Bible study uh, recommended by uh, Dr. Tim Gray that I'm interested in. Uh, Acedia and Me by Kathleen Norris. Have you ever heard of that one? I've never heard of that book. I know who she is. I've never heard of that book, though. No. Okay, it's about sloth. Yeah. Spiritual laziness, yeah. Uh, and then the privilege of being a woman by Alice von Hildebrand. Okay. Yep. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I hope you're able to get some nice reading. Is there a? Do you have a fireplace in the Newman Center? I do, but I've never gotten it checked out. Oh. oh. <laughs> Although I'm guessing the flu is open because a squirrel came down. The oh well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> that was fun. Very good. 
Well, Father, uh, we are... What about you? What's on your oh, reading oh, list? Well, okay, my reading list. What am I... I am reading... Um, let's see. All right, so one thing, I've, and I've, I've just been reading a little bit at a time. Um, Tracy Rowland is a, an Australian theologian. She's the dean of the John Paul II Institute for Marriage and Family in Sydney, Australia. And she's written a number of books, which I've really enjoyed. Uh, a couple of them are on the thought of Pope Benedict, uh, Joseph Ratzinger. Um, one of them is more popular treatment called Ratzinger's Faith, which came out, I think, last year, um, 2009, and I thoroughly enjoyed that. And then this summer, she came out with one called Benedict the Sixteenth: A Guide for the Perplexed. The subtitle there is actually that's the title of a series, uh, A Guide for the Perplexed. Um, they have... It's not an ex- uh, uh, it's not an exclusively Catholic series. They do things on on uh, John Calvin, but uh, some Catholic theologians as well, like Henri de Lubac, Hans Urs von Balthasar, a couple twentieth century Catholic theologians, and uh, Joseph Ratzinger. Benedict the Sixteenth is is also now in this list of titles that uh, uh, Dr. Rowland has written uh, this book on. and So I'm reading a little bit. It, it's, it's, it's more of a graduate-level theology book, so uh, uh, taking a little bit slower uh, t- to digest it more. Um, so, but I love her stuff. That's a great book. Uh, I'm reading a book called The Evolution Controversy, um, which is trying to give sort of an objective, okay, what's the disagreement about? And, and laying out with the various perspectives on the question of, of Darwinian evolution, um, uh, so looking at what the what the Darwinists say, and there are a couple different schools of Darwinism, the intelligent design school, what it says, the creationist school, which holds to uh, you know a very literalistic reading of Genesis one and two. Um, so trying to be objective, like what are the issues? What are the fundamental issues? Where's the school come down? What's the evidence for their respective opinions? So I'm working my way through that as well. And then a book I got just the other day that I'm I'm hoping to read a little bit over uh, Christmas break uh, is by uh, a, a, an academic. Uh, I'm pretty sure he's Catholic. Uh, he, yeah, he's Catholic. Uh, Louis Dupree. He teaches at um, Yale Yale University. Um, the title is Passage to Modernity, an Essay in the Hermeneutics of Nature and Culture. Uh, so what, what he's getting into is sort of the, uh, the, the intellectual history or foundation of, of the sort of the, the, some of the philosophical premises of our culture today. And he actually goes back uh, to the late 14th century uh, so among some um, uh, 14th century Catholic theologians who, who sort of laid the foundation for, in a problematic way, frankly, for some of the uh, some of the philosophical issues uh, or well principles that uh, we operate with unknowingly in our own culture today. So, a little bit more uh, philosophical, uh, deeper theology, but that's a topic that I'm particularly interested in. So, I'm hoping to get a, get that cracked open as well. So, there you go. And by the way, there's only one copy of that book left on Amazon.com if you're looking to order today. You better hurry, dear listener, and Amazon. Just to uh, mention, uh, if uh, well, I don't know if this is going to go online. Hopefully today. So any last minute shopping, go get it. Go get it. That's right. All right. Well, Father, I think that's it for this week. I I think so. I think it should be. It should be. So have a merry Christmas, Father. I will. You as well. God bless you and your family. Thank you and. Dear listeners as well, hope you have a blessed and holy Christmas with your friends and or family.